This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 427, for Wednesday, December 22nd, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we are into. And every holiday season, we all get together, or I get as many of my friends together as I can, on the Citadel Cafe Holiday Roundtable. And I am happy to have a nearly full house tonight. Unfortunately, Lou Page had some last-minute things come up, uh, family, Christmas wrapping, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you can find him at Busy Zombie Lord and all the social media that matters. And of course, peppered throughout the year on the Citadel Cafe. Uh, but all the best, all the happy holidays to Lou, uh, who unfortunately can't make it. Uh, Brock and Vola may be able to join us later. He is at the Cat Volver on social media. Uh, he also has a busy young family around the holiday. So uh, may or may not be able to pop in later. We'll see what's happening with Brockett. But here tonight, Alistair McFly uh, at iMcFly on social media. Hello, sir. Hello. Hello. Ryan Murphy from Zombies Ate My Podcast, podcasting partner of Blue Page, uh, as well as the Gamers Inn and Dungeons and Diapers. Ryan Murphy, hello, sir. Yes, I, I, I've I stopped podcasting for uh, on my other three shows to come here and podcast here, so <laughs> it's a busy week of podcasts. Look, I One hear you, man. One of these days, I'll add an eighth day, I think. I'll get around to that. I hear you. I've been doing the same thing because I want to take a week off between the holidays, so I'm recording extra stuff the last, like, ten days, and it's just, it's. I feel like I've been podcasting on my ears when normally I just do two shows a week, uh, but yeah. uh, it's a busy time of year for us, us microphone people. Indeed, indeed it is. It's like when you take a week off of work, you end up fitting that week in like half of it before you go off on vacation and the other half when you get back. So do you really take a vacation? I don't know. <laughs> the meta vacation. <laughs> yeah. Also here and chuckling in the background is Steven. You can find him at Steven ESC and all the social media that matters. And of course, once a month here on the Little Cafe. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. I am halfway through the eggnog and rum that I poured before the show because our pre-show chat went a little bit long. So we'll see if I can manage to squeak in a a refill, but my headphones might not reach that far during the show. I don't have a beverage of adult variety, but I have a a tea and eggnog for my Christmas beverage. Hey, well, look, there's eggnog in it. Like that, that at least counts for something, right? Uh, And pulling up the rear, we have the once a year appearance of James the Civilian. He is like the wind. He is every fucking where, but you can't find him. So hello, James. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me back. Uh, I heard the words holiday roundtable and suddenly I materialize on the TCC. <laughs> it's like the ghost of Christmas past. You just kind of show up. I'm just here and no one's complaining yet. So I'm just going to keep uh, sitting here and talking. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we missed an opportunity to bring you on at some point during the year for some Star Trek talk. Uh, Alistair has mm. been kind enough to fill those shoes, but I think um besides the holiday rain roundtable james the last time you were on was probably one of the one of the star trek conversations uh yes i was here for the holiday roundtable last year and then i think uh not long before that i was here for an episode about star trek discovery seasons one and two uh, and season three sorry season three had just started yeah because they come out they starts in november so you probably would have been around sometime in november of of 2020 no 20 yeah 2020 
Wow. Just that sounds right. The last two years have just become one big giant blob of time. It's like the mm -hmm. gelatinous cube oh, yeah. from D and D. Like it's all just kind of in there, floating around. And it's like, you ever have you guys seen those memes where it's like, you know, nineteen seventy? That was thirty years ago. Nope, that was fifty years ago. Like I have, I, yes. in my brain, <laughs> I always think that it's thirty years ago because those are the math that you did when you were in school. And I always, mm -hmm. I always have that like guilty, like yeah, I totally feel like I know it's not, but it feels that way to me sometimes. For me, especially with Back to the Future, because the whole thing was that uh, they they go back like 30 years and then they go forward 30 years because it's a nice round number. And we're way beyond that now. Way, 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 way. Yeah. Well, it's oh, like, uh, sure. That happens in a lot of stuff I, I watch. Like, like Akira was 2019 or 2020. Ghost in the Shell is you know 2020 something as well. So a lot of the stuff that I grew up watching as a teenager, you know, now we're passing those years. It's like, oh, that's that's not how that anime predicted this would be. <laughs> nice. well i have a uh a few holiday questions to kind of kick things off uh tonight we also have an email from a listener from lbv uh and later on we'll be discussing the uh finale of uh hawkeye on disney plus for everybody tuning in and wondering where the show is going but uh, if you're new to the holiday roundtable it's a little bit more of a casual show we kind of lean back and kind of let the conversation take us wherever so the notes on the website will not be quite as tight as usual but we'll try to have as many links as we can uh, I do have a few holiday-themed questions I thought I'd just kind of kick things off with. Uh, and I'll just let folks pick and choose what they want to answer. But the three that I was posing are, what is the nerdy thing that you're looking forward to doing over the holidays? What is the nerdiest gift on your wish list? Or what nerdy entertainment are you looking forward to consuming over the holidays? Uh, Ryan, let's start with you, as I see you've got a few things listed here. So here's the thing. I, um, I have three kids at home and uh video games i love video games and when it comes to christmas and the christmas wish list it's like okay what do i put on here well of course i'm gonna put video games i still haven't gotten around to like figuring out how to not put video games on the christmas list knowing that i'll uh, i'll get them i'll play i'll get them out of the shrink wrap install them and maybe play like 15 minutes or so because i don't have a lot of time to spend on a bunch of video games although i i try uh so <laughs> i did that again where i put video games on on the christmas list so i'm I'm sure i'm gonna get a bunch of video games that uh that i'll look at and and they don't have manuals anymore so it's not like you can say at least you looked at the manual um but i guess i could watch the install bar so i'll, I'll do that at least but <laughs> i i am looking forward to playing some video games over the holidays i've got a good backlog and um forward log is that a thing that's not a thing but we'll see we'll see i'm I'm looking forward to playing some new video games that's that's kind of what i'm looking forward to and from a from a from a nerdy perspective and i do have a couple of games that i've i've put on the list that i'll be able to play with the kids as well so i'm looking forward to that too what like what are your top like two or three games for you and what are the top what's the top game for the kids that you're looking for uh so like for the kids um I picked up uh, Sackboy uh, something something adventure. I can't remember the full name, but it's like so they had the little big planet games and then they kind of spun them out. Um, they spun them out into one game that's uh, you you play as Sackboy and it's like a more of like a platform adventure. And I'm playing it on the PlayStation 5 and uh, I'm looking forward to playing it with the kids. And um, they actually added a new Paw Patrol game to Game Pass, which I'm excited about because I don't have to buy the Paw Patrol game. I can just play it on Game Pass. So there's a, I don't I don't recommend it to any probably anybody else unless unless you do have kids that you, that like Paw Patrol. 
but uh, I'll probably end up playing that one. It's Mighty Pups, in case anyone's curious. I, I don't know if you are, but um, but that that's for the kids. And then, like for myself, I I am looking at uh, Returnal on the PlayStation Five. I, I missed it when it came out. I want to get back to that one. And but I think like the nerdiest thing on my wish list is uh, 13 Sentinels. I just I just I, I can't say it. It's, I just called 13 Sentinels, but it's got a subtitle and it's a uh, a Japanese game that a lot of people in the gamers in discord have been talking about. And there's talk of doing like a game club of some kind with the discord. Uh, so I know that's on my list. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get it. It was it was it was on sale by a good chunk. So it was a good get. And uh, yeah, I'll probably be playing that in 2022. I don't know what the story is about. I think it's about like these kids that travel through time, maybe and fight giant robots or they're in giant robots and they fight giant monsters and there's something going on there. So I I don't know what's going on in the game, but that's the confusing uh, introduction that at least I've been able to to gather from from the what little I've read, but it, it is probably the nerdiest thing on on my list. Uh, but it was I think it's a game that came out earlier this year, and uh, it's on PlayStation, and I think that's it. I think it's exclusive to PlayStation. I think it's supposed to be coming out to Switch next year. Actually, I think that just got announced. So that is uh, probably the nerdiest thing on my list uh, i am looking forward to jumping into it i always like trying new things even if it's not like my typical genre of video games i'm i'm always keen to jump in and try something new that's at least once like i played minecraft once and i tried it and i enjoyed it uh i don't know if my doghouse is still there or my underground escape tunnel <laughs> probably not <laughs> I, I hope you built her i i hope you uh, tore it down it's like this is this is not this is no longer here anymore. i it's think fine. it's now a fountain Alistair, Ooh. you might be able to confirm. I believe it was you and Anna Marie that built the fountain on the Citadel where Ryan's doghouse was. Although I think underneath has been left untouched. <laughs> yeah. So it's a it's a oh. fountain with a mysterious basement, <laughs> I think. Ooh. That's never so, good so, for the plumbing. Uh, some of the basement's now filled with redstone. Uh, <laughs> Anna Marie was the one who built it and designed it. And I, I, I just helped with the redstone to, uh, to do the dispensing. Nice. That'd yeah. It, we try not to take stuff down if we don't have to on the server um just because it's nice to have that kind of perpetual like move forward with the world um yeah i'm looking at 13 sentinels now and it looks like a jrpg would be my my guess of the it, like first impression it is yeah it's a jrpg i think it's more of like it's got like a strategy layer to it where it's um it's it's turn-based combat but it's yeah. also part visual novel so there's a lot of storytelling going on it looks but, very pretty uh, Yes, yeah, it's um, it's by the the studio behind, it's Vanillaware, and they are very, they're known very well for their like stylized, um, you know, high concept artwork and stuff, and it it is part visual novel, part strategy game. Um, I guess it came out a couple of years ago in Japan and just recently released here, but I don't know a whole lot about it. I just know that we have we have some anime fans, JRPG fans in the Discord, and they've. They've slowly kind of been suggesting games, and I think this one, this one will be the next one. Uh, right now, I'm working on Tales of Arise. I've been working on that since September, um, which is a more uh, traditional uh, JRPG that came out earlier this year. Um, the Tales franchise has been around for for decades, um, 
but yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. And honestly, like I'm just I'm just looking forward to to, you know, after a busy day, just sitting down and relaxing and watching some TV or playing some video games. But we are very much looking forward to Christmas with the kids. I think the kids are very excited. I don't know if they gather that there's like not to date this recording, but like only a few more days until Christmas. And I think they haven't quite started to understand that. Uh, but uh, I, I have a feeling tomorrow or or the next day they're gonna they're gonna grasp that Christmas is is literally around the corner. So um, they're very much looking forward to it. Remind me if you don't if you don't mind sharing, what's the age range? Like your oldest is six and your youngest is three. Yeah. So uh, my oldest will be six in January, and then middle child is. Uh, four, and then our youngest is uh, will be two in March. Oh, okay. So younger than I than I thought. Yeah, a little bit younger, but like you know, Caden, who's our oldest, is you know he he's he's all on board. He understands. Uh, he he understands Christmas. He's and Abby does as well, the middle child. But you know, Isabel, who's who's only two, just you know, she knows Santa. She won't go near Santa. All of my kids distrust distrusted <laughs> Santa, like just would not go near them until they hit like three. I don't know if it's like a thing where they needed to get old enough to be able to understand that they could fight back against like an old man who sits in a chair. So <laughs> I don't know if that's the case. Makes sense. It checks out in my, in my mind. Like a two-year-old's like, no, I can't take him. I'm, I got to stay close to mom and dad. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Isabel, you know, she's got the ho, ho, ho down, you know, Santa and, and, and reindeer and all that. but. Um, she's she's just she's always excited little kids are always excited so they're all looking forward to it i uh i can't you know we do the elf thing i don't know if anybody else here does the elf thing for if they have kids but um oh the the elf on the shelf i am so glad my kids are of an age where we missed that entire era i would not be (laughs) be the worst parent ever I I didn't know about it until I came to Canada and it started appearing on the internet and stuff. It's not really a a British thing, and I'm still a little vague as to what it is. It's relatively new, really. I mean, it's oh yeah, Yeah, less less than a decade, isn't it? Oh, less than five years, I would say. Yeah, five to ten years, something like that. Oh, I I just assumed it was a North American thing that everybody grew up with. Mm -hmm. No, no, it's brand new, all things considered. Mm -hmm. My in-laws are trying to. push the elf on the shelf on us and they bought us like the it comes in like a book with like a really nice elf as well i think it's like a set you can get so they bought us yeah. this really nice set and they're trying to push the elf on the shelf on us and i'm trying to resist as much as i can you gotta have fun fun with it so this year we added a new elf our first elf is was nook and our second elf is mcclunky um <laughs> and uh i think mcclunky was had put nook in the french press the other day so we had to separate them um and <laughs> You, sometimes you forget though, and it's like uh, the the kids will come downstairs and like, oh, Nook and McClunky didn't move, and when they don't move, it means like they weren't good and they they, were they bad, lost yeah. their mind. Yeah, well, not like it's we're not really using it as a. I, I mean, you don't sit there and, and I, I definitely say like, well, Nook and McClunky are listening, so if you're gonna like do that, they they are gonna tell Santa, and uh, th- I guess that means they they lose their magic, they they weren't listening or whatever. But yeah, in this case, it was just uh, I had forgot to, it was my turn to move them and I hadn't. So like uh, I think today I forgot to. So McClunky came back with them from the grandparents and uh, it was a, he was in a bag and, and Ash was like, you got to hide them. And like, 
and, and I just opened the freezer and put them in the freezer on the ice cream. It's like, oh, McClunky's eating ice cream. That little rascal. <laughs> I just forgot. I just, they're the only place I could put them without the kids seeing me move them. So, um, you, can't, yeah. you can't find McClunky for three days. The kids are stressing out. Like, <laughs> you open up the freezer to get some ice cream for your apple pie. You're like, oh, there he is. Yeah, there's what an obstacle rascal that guy. <laughs> put him on ice like the mob. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I don't That's go too fucking relate well to it. Yeah. It's uh it 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 is it is fun, but I mean, like I hope I hope that's it. Just two elves. Everyone, you know, people have know their limits on kids and and elves. My limit on kids is three. My limit on elves is two. So that's my bar. We're good with that. We're comfortable. <laughs> I uh I, yeah. I don't want to share the story out of turn. Uh, I'll have to ask my sister to refresh my memory. But I believe one of her friends. Uh, did the elf on the shelf thing. And the rule was that you're not supposed to touch the elf. So the kids are not supposed mm. to play with the elf. You can only touch him on Christmas Eve. Uh, and, and otherwise he loses his magic. Well, I feel like one of her friend's kids like accidentally touched and knocked over something and it ended up like moving the elf and kid had a meltdown. And, you know, so mm -hmm. all, for all of the, you know, the rules and the fun that were in this thing, like because of this one instant, this poor kid was just, beside themselves because of this accident and you have to try and reassure like well remember how, how do you reassure a kid saying like okay so all the things that i've told you over the last 15 days have been lies um so this really doesn't matter as much as you think it does but yeah i i'm glad that i don't have to deal with the elf on the shelf my sister has fun with it she does it for for my niece and i've seen the the elf i don't know the elf's name but um drawing faces on eggs in the fridge uh my favorite stuff are, are the more whimsical things. Like I think she made snow angels and flour on the, on the kitchen counter or something like that. Uh, I always like the memes on, on the internet where it's like, you know, Grogu with the elf halfway down his throat uh, <laughs> or, or um, dads that get a hold of, of the elf. And it's like, you know, he gets into the milk and then like barfs up M&Ms. And so he's like face down on the carpet with like M&Ms everywhere the next day. <laughs> like it looks like hungover elf, like that kind of stuff I find very funny, but um, I don't oh, know yeah. whether they do it all 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 month long or what. My my favorite Star Trek version of the of the meme is uh, Morn riding a Gorn. Oh yeah, <laughs> Morn on a Gorn. Yeah, yeah. Nice. It's uh, like so on a war. Yeah. So Stephen, uh, what are you looking forward to uh, coming up over the holidays from the nerdy side of things? Um, most of the nerdy stuff in my future life has to do with TV shows. I was hoping to pick up uh, a video capture card before the holidays to uh, do a bit of streaming of switch to Twitch. Um, but we had to buy a new washer, which kind of laughed at those plans. And uh, so that's going to be a, a 2002 purchase. So, you know, we just finished watching uh, season two of the Witcher over lunch and Hawkeye over dinner. And um, yeah, over the next little while, we're going to be watching um, the next season of Lock and Key, uh, Lost in Space, and looking forward to the first episode of Book of Boba Fett on the, December 29th. That's right. Yeah, that launches just a couple of days before the new year. I'm looking forward to that too. Uh, I've seen a couple of trailers roll by on YouTube that I've avoided. I've decided that I'm just going to go in blind and kind of like hopefully enjoy it for what it is and, and let mm, the show kind of speak for itself. The trailers aren't long either. They look like they're only a minute, which to me means it's just going to spoil a bunch of visual stuff that I'd rather see firsthand anyway. So, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, I have also watched The Witcher season two. Um, so not to say that I'm I, I was going to watch it over the holidays. I ended up watching it um, over the weekend. Well, weekend mm -hmm. plus a few days. 
Um, how did you, um, you said you just finished that or you wanted to start it? No, we just finished the, uh, the last episode over lunch. So it's basically we do the kind of the parental check on IMDb to find out when there's the inappropriate stuff for kids their age and hmm. just and, and, and kind of visually or, or mentally bookmark when those scenes are. And, and so when the scene pops up, I go, say, OK, guys, look away. And then we just kind of skip ahead 15, 20 seconds or whatever and go, cool. Um, but otherwise, the boys have been watching, you know, Lord of the Rings, Stranger Things and other things. So the the the, the visuals and the fantasy side of it, they're sort of used to that. Uh, there were a couple of things that were a little bit more violently surprising than I remember from season one. But overall, we uh, as a family, they're or the boys are old enough that we we loved it. We mm. practically devoured it. The only reason why we didn't finish it sooner is because my older guy goes, no. No, just because then it'll be over too soon. Let's just slow down <laughs> one episode a day. Because we did, I think there were two different days. We did two episodes, and then he was just he just put the brakes on. It. He goes, no, let's just spread it out a bit. It is tough with the. I find the better series, the better seasons, are often between eight and ten, and it's tough when you're used to like ah whatever I can do two or three in a day. There's usually twelve to fifteen of these, and then after that first day, we've watched three, and you look ahead and you're like, oh crap, there's only eight. I'm half done. <laughs> like yeah, what? Yeah, exactly. I need to pace myself. I, I I know that feeling because one of the worst things about my we'll call it my day to day, and I know it sounds like a small violin in in the woods, but uh, I dislike having to decide what to watch over dinner, and I. <laughs> really enjoy when i'm in the middle of something whether it's like something that i've completely missed and there's like three seasons of it i was like sweet i don't have to worry about it i'm just going to play the next episode um or things like the, you know the witcher which is good but short and then it's like okay well i'm gonna watch one over dinner uh, do i want to watch another one after dinner because if i do that then that's like the rest of the week i don't know what i'm gonna be watching and it sounds silly but like i never seem to sit down ahead of time Maybe while something's boiling or cooking, if I've got 15 minutes, I might think like, okay, I need to sit down and decide what I'm going to watch. Because otherwise I'm sitting there surfing through Netflix for the first 20 minutes of my mm. meal. It's half gone before I even hit play on something. And then I haven't really watched anything. I've only watched like the, you know, act one of an hour long show. So I, I find that I've been more savoring things. And I know, Alistair, this is something that you, you enjoy about some of the Caesar series that are coming out or have been coming out. Um, with Hawkeye, I liked that it was week to week. I liked okay. that I couldn't, I couldn't watch, you know, another one uh, right away. I was, I'm kind of surprised that they don't do that with The Witcher. They, it's like, that's the kind of series that they totally could put out one episode a week over the course of eight weeks, you know, start November 1st, release it all the way through till December, you know, 30th or whatever and just dominate you know netflix subscriptions mm -hmm. for two months but instead they just kind of put it all out at once which i guess in a way it sort of plays like a long movie but you know and i don't want to get into spoilers because it only just came out like a week ago um but it's um i don't know netflix from what i can tell unless it's like a joint project they don't tend to do week to week they usually do like a full release mm -hmm. and they don't put any last time on at the beginning so there's uh, no cat chops and stuff so when i have gone and tried to pace myself there's just times when it's like i can't even remember what happened when um lost in space final season came out i couldn't remember what happened last season i had to go and rewatch the last episode of season two and because huh. there was nothing there was, wasn't even a last season on it it was just straight into it so i noticed that about the witcher they have them they're just not part of the episode they're a separate playlist altogether so you can go and watch like the really? bestiary of the, yeah, you can watch the bestiary of the Witcher. You can watch, which is, has got two parts. So it talks about all the monsters. 
you can watch a season one recap, which is a, a whole like series of events that happen, which would have been helpful had I seen it because again, it wasn't part of the Witcher season two playlist. So like, I didn't see it. Um, and then there's a bunch of, there's like the making of, there's a behind the scenes interview with Henry Cavill. I don't know if that's the same one from the first season or not. I didn't really look at it that closely. I saw them all today. I finished it yesterday. <laughs> so I'm just like, well, the season one recap would have been helpful before I started, mm. <laughs> you know, the season two. But, yeah. um, I, you know, and it's a good that they did that for that show in particular, because season one, as far as the timeline goes, was all over Helen High Water. And, and I could have used a refresher. <laughs> um, I had planned on watching season one again, actually, before season two, but I just didn't get to it. I was watching something else. So I guess, Alistair, uh, in terms of the nerdy stuff that you're looking forward to over the holidays, what, what are your plans? There's a board game that I bought ages ago. I pre-ordered it and it got delayed immensely. And it was a fat as it'll get. And by the time I got it, I ended up just busy because we're suddenly back in work and things. Uh, so I'm finally looking forward to actually sitting down and playing Aliens, Another Glorious Day in the Core from Gale Force 9. It's, uh, it's, it's a really cool uh, cooperative survival board game with also you know, these little figures. They're ones that you're supposed to assemble, but my set actually came with them all pre-assembled, which is great because I'm not really good on the model-making side of things. Um, but yeah, it, just, it plays out like the, uh, the second Aliens film, really, and you're just going around with your Marines and trying to avoid Aliens. and uh, So that's something I'm, I'm just looking forward to at trying out. And also going back to playing Mafia 2. Uh, remember the last time I was on, we were talking about my PlayStation 3? Yes. Yeah, I, uh, Mafia 2 was one of the games that, uh, that I always used to play on my Mac, but it's an old 32-bit game, which isn't supported under 64-bit stuff anymore. So being able to finally play that again is going to be good. It's, it, it opens in a very wintry setting, so it's for several years, for some reason, it just ended up becoming tradition. I haven't played a board game in a really long time. Now, COVID aside, it was still a long time before that as well. Uh, mm. I think the last one I bought was um, Unstoppable Unicorns, which is just like a card tabletop game. That's it. I remember when you got that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I bought it with the intention of playing it with people. And then true to form, I think when I have people over around the holidays um, pre-COVID, it would be the intention of maybe getting a board game going, but it's a maritime party. Everybody ends up standing around in the kitchen near the food and talking like that's just, <laughs> which is be fine on the side. <laughs> yeah. Which is fine. I don't mind that at all. That's kind of how I roll with parties. I like that about the maritimes, but, mm. um, and I'm sure it's the same elsewhere too, but I, I just, you know, unless it's an established tradition of like, you know, everybody gets together for that annual game of, you know, insert whatever, you know, tabletop you're into. Um, mm. I find it's hard to kind of get one going. Or yeah. if you don't have a large enough party, it's like either the party is just big enough to play the game and then everybody can play. Or if the party isn't big enough, then it ends up dividing the party in half. <laughs> so then mm. you've got like four people or five people playing a game and like two or three people just kind of like hanging out and watching, which is odd. <laughs> as so. sad as it sounds, that's one of the reasons why I've ended up investing money into games that offer solo play. Oh, right. So that at least I can, because there's a few games that I've got that, you know, uh, two to four players or whatever that I've never even had a chance to play. And so now it's just, kind of, I'm just going to get ones where, you know, worst comes to worst, especially in a pandemic, you know, I can just at least uh, play solo. So with regards to maybe like a Christmas wish list, uh, do you, do you have any additions coming to the home arcade or any, any other video games that you're looking to, to get at? Oh, I wish. Um, 
to be honest, I've I'm actually starting to look at getting a house. Wow. So uh, yeah, I, I'm starting to to enter that. I'm going to be speaking to a mortgage broker uh, sort of early in the new year. So all the kind of plans of getting a you know new additions to the home arcade are kind of getting put on the back burner now. Right. With the with the hopes of of getting a better dedicated place for them. And believe you me, I'm going to make sure there is a room for arcade so that I can expand. <laughs> so it's, not this year, but it will happen. <laughs> I would expect nothing less. You don't want to put the cart before the horse, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Running out of room a bit now, so it'll be good to have just that dedicated space. But yeah, so, I, I, so financially, I think that's where a lot of stuff's going to start aiming towards now, really. But it's exciting stuff. Uh, James, what are you looking forward to doing most over the holidays? Uh, I, well, much like Ryan, I think I have my eye on a video game or two that I'm trying to finish. In particular, I'm trying to finish Metroid Dread on Nintendo Switch. I picked that up in October, just after it came out. But uh, much like Ryan, uh, young family plus work equals not a lot of time to play video games. Uh, so that kind of went down to uh, one night a week. I would carve out some time to go play Metroid Dread. And then things just got so so busy at work and the holidays that I, I've had to put it down. So trying to get back to finishing Metroid Dread, uh, that'd be really nice. And, uh, also trying to find some more time to, to draw and do my own personal art projects. Uh, in terms of nerdiest thing on my wish list, I dropped a not so subtle hint to my wife that Kohl's, the bookstore in the malls here, uh, they have the first collected volume of the Ghost in the Shell manga. Uh, I, I think, Ooh. fingers crossed, I think my wife might have picked up on the hint. There's there's a book <laughs> under the tree with my name on it that is wrapped up that is very similar in size and weight and dimensions. Uh, so fingers crossed that that worked out. Uh, and in terms of uh, entertainment to consume, uh, for me, The Expanse, uh, the final season of The Expanse just came out, or I should say, uh, they are releasing episodes once a week uh, on Amazon Prime. Uh, they're two episodes in, and going back to our conversation about short seasons, there's only six episodes this season. They've already released two, so we're already a third of the way through the season. <laughs> the final season, no less. Uh, so I'm definitely looking forward to watching The Expanse. and. Uh, Trying to finish up some series that I started. I, I started Star Wars Visions, which I know you talked about on a previous episode. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. But again, I, I haven't finished it to get back to it. So yeah, I'm just trying to tie up some loose ends more than anything over the holidays. I confess that I started and did not finish Star Wars Visions either. Whenever they get to like the musical ones or the weird ones, I always ended up bailing. Or or like where you would watch two or three if they were really good, I would watch one of those and be like, okay, well, I'm done with these for now. And just, you know, you kind of subconsciously forget that they're all going to be different. So just because you didn't like this one doesn't mean you're not going to like the next one. Um, Steven, I know you got, you guys were watching those. Did you finish all of those? Watching which ones? These Star Wars Star Visions? Trek? Oh, no, we, did, we didn't. Okay, it must have, been, must have been. Who was it that I was talking to? Maybe it was Ryan. Was it you that I was talking to about the Star Wars Visions? You know what? I watched about half of them. And, yeah. then, and then I didn't get back to it. And I, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's just it. you know, we talked earlier about like, you know, shows dropping week to week. And I know I talked to um, some friends of mine who uh, who have the time to binge and, and um, I, I don't anymore. Like if they drop eight, like The Witcher 2, I've I've watched the first 10 minutes of the first episode and I, I love The Witcher. Uh, the issue I have is that it's the it's a me only show like Ashley, my mm. wife. Ha- 
I've never, I've never been able to, I've never tried it with her because she, it, it's kind of like, it's that high fantasy stuff, you know, like, uh, I think that might she, not really her jam, but like Hawkeye, she's really enjoying. So we've been watching that, uh, together, but I really appreciate the week to week because it allows you to just kind of like, I only have to, you know, carve out an hour and I can do that, that I can do, but I do appreciate when you get to do like a cliffhanger and you're like, oh, but if if it was all there, we could just watch like the next 15 minutes of the next episode, understand what's going on, and then, you know, sleep better. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I see both sides of it. I do. And but I, I still prefer week to week. So going back to visions, I think that was the issue is like, oh, it's all there. I can go back to it whenever I want. It's not something that can be spoiled. Um, and I think that kind of worked against it, but I really appreciated like the idea of star Wars visions, like the fact that it is trying something new with a franchise that has kind of kept doing the same thing as outside looking in. I'm not, a, I'm not a huge star Wars fan, so I, I could be completely wrong, but like my favorite star Wars is when they do different things. Like I liked rogue one. Mm-hmm. I liked, uh, some of the, the, you know, um, the Titanfall dev uh, respawns, you know, Star Wars game, um, you know, that sort of stuff. So, but by no means am I a, like a huge Star Wars fan. So definitely don't have to take my word at all on this. I could be completely wrong on all these thoughts, but yeah, uh, I forgot Book of Boba is coming out next week and I don't know how I feel about that. It, are people excited about that? Like, I know it's Boba Fett, right? So, but that's my only connection to it is that it, people are excited because it's Boba Fett. I think they're excited because it's Boba Fett and Boba, Boba Fett's showing in the season two of Mandalorian was strong. I'm not convinced, but I will be happy to say that I'm wrong that I can watch a full season of Boba Fett. I think part of the allure of the character of Boba Fett overall is because people don't know much about him. It's that, it's that mystery. It's that like you can kind of write your own sort of like mythos to him. I know there's comics and stuff like that, but I, I have lost track of what's canon and what's not after Disney took over. And um, I, I just don't know that another Mandalorian show is what I'm looking for. And from what I can tell from the first trailer, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a, a bounty hunter show. I think it's going to be more of a, of a gangster, you know, Star Wars. Yeah. I think it's probably like what we're getting out of the Mandalorian is like a Star Wars gunslinger, like traveling lone gunman deal i'm wondering if with the if with the boba fett the book of boba fett if we're going to get more of a, like a a western town you know he sets up in jabba's palace and takes over and then just it's just the whole thing is on tatooine uh, or most of it i'm not really sure hmm. um but yeah i i mean i'm gonna watch it because i mean i trust the production value and i love the mandalorian and i'm i'm curious where you see where it goes it's also the star wars that we have right now you know without new films and stuff coming out so uh, I mean, I'm, I'm interested for sure. I don't know if I'm looking forward to it. I know I, Steven, you probably are. Cause I know that you guys are a big, a big star Wars, um, house now, before I forget Steven, um, if you haven't heard about the, uh, the star Wars visions, it is a series of animated shorts all with a star Wars theme, but they're all completely independent of one another story-wise. And they're completely independent, uh, as far as being animated by different studios around the globe. But like you'll right. have one like super anime samurai one and then you'll have one goofy musical one and then you'll have another one that deals with lightsabers another one that deals with like no jedi at all it's all kind of like all over the map so it's meant to be kind of consumed as like a standalone just kind of like almost like what if in in a way 
um just kind of like out there as like a fun example of what this imagination can do in this world you know with with that ip and just kind of let artists kind of like do whatever they want it's starting to sound familiar we we may have chatted about it on one of the chatted about it on one of the uh the podcasts i just i I, we just never ended up watching it it sounded a little bit like the animatrix in a Mm. way from the way you're describing it you're right yeah that it's that i would say probably very similar i've watched like two or three um and i hear you on not remembering kind of like what's what i mean (laughs) having hosted 427 of these (laughs) like (laughs) remember i very often have to go to the website going like did i talk about that before what episode was that i'm not even sure who i was talking to about that i have to go look it up on the internet because it's been so long that i have absolutely no idea in essence of time we should probably move on to the listener email which is going to tie us back to the witcher i think uh this email comes from lbv Hello, the Citadel Cafe. A late congratulations on 10 years. A quick question for you. Do you think some media for adults is getting maybe a little bit too raunchy? I've got this feeling that some adult media got the R rating and because of that, they went too far in the direction of sexual content and or long graphic violence scenes. Do you think that some directors or creators thought the whole point of adult media was to be explicit? Or do you think that maybe I've just been unlucky and my recent raunch history is too small of a sample in the vast ocean of content. Love the show, LBV. P.S. Did you know that Joel is a Finnish name? Here it's pronounced Yol, but written the same as yours. Uh, I did know that, and I don't remember where I picked that up. I feel like it was, it might have been from just general media or the fact that so much of the fan base in Minecraft has like a, a Norse, you know, kind of like a Sweden, Finland, kind of like, population and i think that's kind of across in my discord or in my in my twitch chat at some point but i did i did know that um and uh, i've actually had people ask me when they're from either finland or sweden about my name and how to pronounce it because they they in their mind think yo but then they they see mine and like but how does he say it and so it's it becomes a little conversation live in twitch chat i'll kick this off by saying that i agree in some cases uh and i think that when it works in shows like The Witcher, specifically season two, uh, I found, uh, and I won't get into any spoilers, that there are less n- there are less nude scenes and less nude scenes for the sake of nude scenes. It was not mm-hmm. meant to make you feel uncomfortable. It wasn't gratuitous. Um, and if I recall, I don't even think Henry Cavill takes his shirt off, which is, I think, probably to the dismay of many female fans. Um, but I think that their reason for dialing back the highly you know, sexual scenes in The Witcher in season two suit the story. And I'm glad that they did it. Uh, on the flip side, it is very violent. And I want to say it's even more violent than, than the first season. The first season, there's a lot of like monsters and like, you know, chopping the head off of a dragon, which is obviously like an imaginary CG thing is all well and good. Um, but in season two, and again, I don't want to get into any too, too big of a spoiler thing here, but there are a lot of monsters. They are pretty grotesque. And there's a lot of encounters with humans where the humans don't make it. And it's not a matter of a <laughs> human being batted off the side of a mountain doing a Wilhelm scream. And that's the end of it. I'm talking about people being like ripped in half or pieces of them being removed by teeth. Like, and it's, they don't hide anything. Nope. And it, it adds to the peril of the of the scene and i think that to its strength when someone that has been in the show 
dies violently and there is absolutely no coming back from it it kind of cements the danger to the audience and i feel like there's a like there's a couple things that maybe i didn't need to see but at the same time because you're dealing with beings and and witchers that can be healed by magic and they take elixirs and like you they can get stabbed through and it would kill anyone except for the witchers because and i don't mean season two just in general people get stabbed and then they live and it's like but <laughs> you had a sword that was four foot long driven through your torso and you're alive and it, in this way when the monsters take them out they're done because you know they're done and so i get that clarity now on the flip side much to my regret i've been watching season three of titans on netflix and the only reason I continue to watch it is because every once in a while they have some character beats or some character takes. And I'm just like, okay, wow, that was pretty interesting. The acting is good for the most part for some of the main characters. Where they falter and where they get more lewd, more violent and, and overly sexual when they don't need to is when they can't write themselves out, out of a box. And they've just got these characters that are not needed for the story. They need to do something with them because they're quote unquote part of the team. Uh, like Starfire or Superboy. And while Superboy's got some cool moments, there's also some very violent scenes. And with with uh, Titans, it's not so much about the graphic violence, it's about the language. And it's about like how many F-bombs can they put into a superhero show? And basically they just feel like, oh, well, we're not on the CW, so let's just have them say fuck every other sentence. And so it's like, but that's not even how real people talk. And now you're trying to tell me that these superheroes are also being this vulgar. And it just, it just speaks to the low bar of the writing for those characters. It doesn't unfortunately, or I guess fortunately, uh, speak for the writing for the whole show. It's not the best, but it's better than previous seasons. And it certainly has some interesting takes. Uh, and it does some things with the fight scenes that they don't do on the CW. Uh, I mean, Alistair, you might be able to speak to this having gone through some of the more recent seasons. But for me the fight scenes in the CW look like a lot of jumping and landing and the camera shaking and people going flying. Whereas on, on Titans, like you can hear and feel some of the blows when Nightwing is fighting somebody and it's, he's not nice. Like he's a Batman protege. Like he's breaking people's knees backwards and they don't show you that they might give you a sound effect, but you're like, when people go down, they go down hard and it's satisfying because they're nasty bad guys that are like kidnapping people and, and Nightwing is beating the tar out of them and it's fine, but it's, it's the reverse of the, the sexual and the, um, combat violence in the show. It's the verbal kind of R rating and the dialogue that they lean and they use as an excuse because of the, of the R rating for it. And it doesn't do the, the show any service. They could do just fine without as many. I'm not saying don't swear adults use adult language, but it's just, to me, it's a little bit, a little bit bland. So, I mean, Alistair, in terms of, you know, some very PG content like the CW versus some of the more like raunchy stuff that you've seen, do you think that, that people are going a little bit too raunchy with, with media these days? I think it it depends a lot on the context of what the show is. Um, I, I certainly know that back when Stargate first came out, uh, that first aired on Showtime. The movie had had some nudity, and Showtime were trying to be edgy and were trying to push nudity. So they made them put nudity in the pilot of the show, which the creators weren't really too happy about. And then they were able to kind of kibosh that for... Uh, episode two onwards um and then later on brad wright who was 
one of the creators went back and re-edited the pilot and re-released it as the final cut. And he stripped out all the nudity because it's like, it does not need to be here. And, you know, and that's not one of those things where, you know, nudity in shows is bad, but there are certainly some shows where it's more appropriate for it. Like, I think people would probably agree that Game of Thrones, it probably made sense to be there. But, um, and certainly when it comes to violence, uh, I, I think that, again, some of them just to kind of get the idea of the brutality of stuff, you kind of need to show more, but I think people are also a lot more accepting of it and a lot more understanding as to what's real and what isn't for the most part. I, I think James Bond is also a very good example of this, where if you watch Sean Connery trying to fight, um, you know, and then you watch Daniel Craig fighting, the fighting styles are very, very different just because of how violence has changed in visual media over the years. Yeah, stunt fights and stuff have become a lot more visceral in terms of just like the speed at which they film them, the editing. You think about the Bourne films, you know, like when he beats the guy up with a book, like it's, yeah. it's not violent in that he's not, there's not a lot of blood or people aren't losing limbs, but you still kind of like cringe in your chair going like, man, that sounded like it hurt. <laughs> and it's a book, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. I think sound editing can do a lot too. Yeah. I mean, to your point earlier, you don't have to see it, but if you hear a bone punch, then yeah, mm, that, that mm -hmm. goes through you. I think that's almost worse than seeing it, you know? Oh, for sure. Like I remember... I didn't mind necessarily the violence in Walking Dead when I first started watching years and years ago, because they did a lot of that stuff off camera where you'd hear this squish of like guts or someone being ripped apart and your brain would just fill in the rest and you'd be just uncomfortable the rest of the night. Um, but uh, I, I again, like that show, you can't have like a terrifying zombie apocalypse without a lot of like gross stuff happening because it's a gross thing that that's going on. Um mm. Ryan, I mean, I know you cover a lot of zombie content and also, you know, violence in video games being, you know, a topic that comes up a lot. Like, where's your take on games and or television that, you know, is pushing the explicit tag like to the to the limit? I think uh, I think violence has sort of usurped um, like nudity and sexual content. I think um, mm. from from what I from what I, you know, my entertainment that I'm consuming, I feel like nudity and sexual content has kind of moved towards um more of more for narrative purposes as opposed to like season one of game of thrones which was um was was very much not that for the most part like i think that was just hbo being like well we're hbo let's let's hbo this thing um but violence yeah i think that they've leaned lean more into it in terms of the with video games and for mature and then uh with 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 tv and movies I mean, Walking Dead is a good example where I think if you look at Walking Dead season one and two to what they've done in the last three or four seasons, they've definitely pushed the envelope in terms of like, how much of it are we showing on screen? And uh, the deaths that you get with major characters in comparison to earlier seasons to new seasons, like they get pretty grotesque um, to the point where I think there was a large exodus of, of, of viewers um, with a specific scene i think at the beginning of season seven um with the, the introduction of negan so like again i think violence has kind of like been sort of left unchecked uh whereas i think uh you know at least the entertainment i'm viewing has gotten a lot you know a lot better 
at using nudity and sexual content for the story as opposed to just having it there because they can. Uh, but I don't watch a lot of like I don't watch a lot of TV or or movies. It's very selective. And again, with with all the Marvel and Star Wars and Disney stuff, like it's Disney, right? So they mm-hmm. they do the strategic violence, you know, like Hawkeye's pretty violent, but like it's strategic violence. It's not very like uh, it's not it's not like, you know, the, the comparison of James Bond, which is uh, can be brutal at times. Um, but yeah, like I think uh I, I think stuff has been getting more violent and but again, like I think it, it like the Witcher probably it suits it's for the narrative. Like those games are very violent. Those books, I have not read the books, but I, I hear they're very violent. So um yeah, it makes sense. Uh but I guess like you look look at Mortal Kombat as an example, which is just that is violence, but like it's almost gone too far. Like you you know, they say turn it up to eleven, that turns it up to fifteen and then it just becomes just comical at that point i i think uh and and sort of supernatural and in, in the sense that you have characters that are like having their hearts explode but then you know two seconds later are totally fine and continue fighting so it, it's it's not something that that one earns its m rating and you're not gonna let your 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 kid it's not like the old mortal Kombat where yeah it was kind of a you know a comical m rating but now they very much are m ratings and they do some pretty nasty stuff with it uh but it but it's weirdly all in in good fun i hate to say it that way but i think like mortal kombat has kind of leaned into it and been like no we're mortal kombat we're gonna have you know shattering knees and we're gonna zoom in on that and that's gonna be gross and everyone's gonna be like oh god i can't believe that happened and uh and then move on like you know you've got robocop fighting terminator but they're like breaking each other's bones but like totally fine walking and 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 talking and stuff so Although those are two robots, that's a bad example, really. Uh, <laughs> okay, I was just going to correct myself. One's a robot, <laughs> you know, with you know a realistic skin shell or whatever they they use in the movies, and then yeah. one is a cyborg. Yeah, he's got. Yeah. There's parts of his legs that made it through that opening scene, Officer Murphy. Yeah. So uh, actually, yes, technically they're both cyborgs. It's just that they're kind of the inverse of each other. Yeah. Oh yes, that's true. Yeah. James, you're well, gonna say cyborg. I, I was just going to say, I, I feel uh, kind of similar about uh, the Mortal Kombat games, and I had a similar conversation with my friends about some of the newer Doom games and how they were really violent. And a, and a friend of mine had like a really good comparison, and Ryan kind of touched on this. Like the violence is almost so grotesque and so over the top, he almost like he almost Looney Tunes it, right? Like it's so like outrageous and over the top, and obviously never could happen or be real. That you almost just you just almost glance over it, right? You know, how many times does Wiley Coyote get blown up by the dynamite? You know, every episode. And he comes back the next episode and he's totally fine. You know, and it, it's kind of that level. It's almost cartoonish, you know, at a certain point, the level of violence. I find too, it depends yeah. on what's happening. Like fighting, like floating giant brains in spider jars or whatever in, in Doom. And I'm, I'm making that up. I only go from like images that I've seen. I mean, you're not that line. far off, Joel. Yeah, but, but like, but they're pretty <laughs> grotesque to begin with. You know, it's, it's a lot of, it's the kind of thing from like Diablo. Like, I mean, you're hacking right. things into bloody bits in Diablo, but they're all demons. So like, that's kind of, you're doing a good thing by murdering all of these crazy, you know, spider creatures and everything else. Uh, and, and in those situations, you're always like, you're, you're killing them as part of the game. It's killed or be killed. But the, the, I find the thing that gets me most uncomfortable is when it's a juxtaposition in a, in a situation that you weren't expecting. I can tell you a show. I don't necessarily want to call it like a violent show, but it's more violent and more graphic than you expect. And that's cowboy bebop. 
the the now discontinued uh the canceled show on netflix the um the adaptation from from the anime into the live action and netflix canceled something oh it, no shocker i know oh, i know already <laughs> i was wondering like am i gonna go back and finish this and then netflix is just like well we've canceled it so my answer is like no i'm not gonna go back and finish this because it's not gonna be worth my time um but like i would sit down to watch that show and like I'd be eating over dinner and watching what I think is going to be a kind of cartoonish take on, you know, some live action stuff. And then there'd be some like very violent thing happen where they show like a gun wound or, or a sword fight. And like things are, you know, people are getting slow motion cut and you're talking about like stuff spilling everywhere. You're like, Oh wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. And the thing is like these days between the improvements of practical special effects, whether it's, you know, blood bags or like, you know, little squib things where they explode uh, combined with like slow motion, you know, video, uh, and then of course CG special effects where they're just completely, you know, making this stuff up. So you can have someone's head get lopped off in a, in a fight scene and it looks ridiculously real because the effects are pretty solid. Right. And you're just kind of like, I didn't need to see his esophagus as he folded over headless. Like, that's just like, it's a lot of anatomy to eat, you know, to talk, take in right now while I'm having Mac and cheese, you know? <laughs> so, um, you sl slide the ketchup to the other side of the table. Like, well, so much for that. That's how I feel about the boys uh, on Amazon. I don't know if anyone here has watched the boys. Yes, me too. I stopped. It's a lot sometimes and even i have to stop and like oh i'm only gonna watch one episode tonight because it's violent and it's vulgar and it, it there is you know, undertones of, of you know you know sexual violence as well and mm -hmm. it's it's a lot and, and I, I that's a show that pushes that button so steven i know you mentioned earlier you touched on um watching the witcher season two with your boys who are teenagers without getting into too much detail about their ages but like yeah when you are and 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 the missus are making those decisions about like what to watch with when to ask them to turn away like how do you do you make those calls ahead of time like do you pre-watch like how do you deal with it with with kids where it are at an age where on a whole the story would be enjoyable there's going to be moments where you're just like god i wish this creator had just not made it this <laughs> this extreme we rely on IMDb a heck of a lot, to be honest, because there's a there's a good parental sort of I'm not sure what you would call it, almost like a checklist of different things to watch out for. Like there's um, violence, then it'll have rating from none to severe, uh, nudity and sexual content, basically for that, for smoking, for drugs and a couple of other things. So if we're thinking, hey, this looks pretty good and we go check it out. And then just suddenly it's I guess they're old enough now that, you know, they, they've watched shows that are laced with swear words. No, no. And it's nothing new to them. But I think we kind of they're young enough that we we draw the line at the the nudity, right? Yeah. And so, um, and even even then, if it's just if it suits the context of it, I guess that's for me with the things being taken too far in the direction of sexual content and stuff like that. We 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 won't let them watch sexual like sexual content. But if there's nudity, and it's brief, and it's sort of necessary for the context, it's it's not always. I mean, I can't remember where I heard it or read it, but, you know, I remember some someone saying any nudity is gratuitous, like you don't need it. So arguably anything that they showed nudity wise in The Witcher was in the first, I think, just first two episodes. And it's it's not much of a spoiler. They have they have prostitutes come in one of the scenes mm -hmm. and there's nudity there where they're, they're, you know, their blouses are falling off or whatever. And they didn't really need to do that. You could have just had the scene. It was pretty as pretty obvious that it was in there um or the, the women were there for the entertainment of the men you know what's kind of going on 
and they didn't need to show it. Whereas in the first episode, I forget the, the what the name of the creature was, but the creature, I guess I should say, spoiler alert for episode one of The Witcher, um, when the creature comes flying down and reverts back to human form, she's naked. It's very brief, but it totally makes sense. Do you know what I mean? It's right. like there's, yeah. there's no way that she wouldn't be um, if she is nude as the creature. That's one of the things that always threw me off. Um, I apologize. I forget who mentioned um, Ghost in uh, Ghost in the Shell. That was Ghost me. in the Shell earlier on. Yes. Um, one of my beefs about that is there's a scene in it where she's nude and running on water and there's a big fight scene and stuff like that. But she had boots on. And, and so it's like, you know, if she needed to be nude in order to go invisible, then the boots shouldn't have been there. Maybe I'm remembering a different scene. But basically, from what I remember, she didn't need to be nude because like, how does everything disappear? And I think it was like, I think it was more evident in the movie where she turned invisible. And how does somebody turn invisible when they still got the clothes on and stuff like that? So it just it doesn't make sense to me. And, and, and I guess that's one of the things that as violent as the boys is. Um, I think mentally they go too far with it. Um, but when you've got the invisible, like the guy who turned invisible, he was always invisible, but only when he was naked. So he's, you know, they decided to take that to an extreme and made the guy a total perv. Um, but it makes sense, you know, like if he had clothes on, his clothes aren't going to magically turn invisible like they do in almost every other show that exists. And and the head honcho, or the oh, what's his name? Homelander. On it. Homelander, yes. So like when when he does things that are violent and it's totally graphic and feels unnecessary, but the reality is if he did that to any human or anything like that, that's exactly what would happen. Whereas you have other superhero movies and see people seem to get hit by these unbelievably like, super powerful humans and they just go flying across the room, bang off a pillow or something, fall to the ground and get back up just sort of in pain. It's just like, nope, they'd be dead. And so that's that's the only thing I'll say in favor of the violence in something like Boys is that it's like it's true to what would happen if a superhuman being punched a regular human. I feel like Kickass was also one of the early ones to do that as well, where you kind of got a sense of, yeah, this is exactly how injured you would actually be if this was a real thing. Exactly. I don't say I'm a fan of it and there are, or I can really stomach it a whole lot of the time, but I, I appreciate that aspect of it. It's, it's like a demonstration mm. of what it would really be. Like, it's, a, it's miraculous how many humans actually survive when there's an alien invasion. They don't actually show, like in Marvel, a ton of people dying. I, I will say, Stephen, I, I, I do remember the scene in Ghost in the Shell that you're talking about, but I, I don't remember showing boots or not. Uh, I will say I could fill a whole episode of the Citadel Cafe talking about the 1995 Ghost in the Shell movie because it's my favorite movie. But I also, <laughs> I also understand that, you know, there are issues with it, and I, I can definitely understand why, why some would kind of bounce off some of the, uh, some of the, I guess, more sexual aspects of it, which kind of ties me into my answer to this question, which is uh, kind of like what Alice was saying earlier. I think there's definitely a time and a place for some of this stuff. You know, there are tools in a creator's toolbox, right? And, you know, Obi-Wan fighting Anakin in the climactic battle where Anakin gets beat up and becomes Darth Vader. Yeah, that's got to be a little bit more you know, violent and grotesque. We need to see that. Uh, but the other times, you know, like in the boys, where I was like, man, I, I don't know if I need to see like her jawbone where, you know, the guy who runs really fast ran through her and turned her into a bottle. You know, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, uh, so uh, but the the one that I find really weird for me is uh, a lot of sexual content. So 
kind of going back into anime, my wife is a huge anime fan. Absolutely huge anime fan. But anime is kind of known sometimes for having a lot of fan service. And to her, like, it, it's nothing. She just glosses right over it, doesn't face her at all. Whereas for me, it makes me really uncomfortable. I, I even made the joke to her one time, so you're watching this anime for the plot, are you? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely watch it for the plot. Oh, okay, okay, watch it for the plot, sure, sure. Uh, it, you know, just there was just that level of fan service, and I, I just, I can't not use it. And I almost get, like, I don't know if mad's the word, but it, it feels sometimes when a show is you know, overtly sexual to the point of just, you know, titillation, I almost feel offended, almost like, it's like they're pandering to me. You know, mm-hmm. like they're they're taking a shortcut to try and get my attention rather than, you know, like you were saying about that that scene in The Witcher, you know, does it need to be there? Like, we, we got the... We got the idea, right? We didn't need to be that, uh, you know, explicit with it. I, th- I think Country of Origin also plays the part in it as well. So when you have got Absolutely. anime and stuff like that, um, especially in England as well, a lot of uh, British stuff has had nudity in for a long time, and there's been a lot more of it over there than there was in North America. Um, I remember when I was younger, with shows that would be on that wouldn't just show naked women, but also full frontal nudity for men as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I, I think that the British censorship hasn't been as bad um, for blocking a lot of that stuff. But we also had something called the watershed. So the idea was that after nine o'clock, it wasn't like anything goes, but that's when nudity could be shown and things like that. But anything before 9 p.m. was an absolute no. Which was also good for for people with kids, where you know they're going to bed by nine o'clock, they don't have to worry either. I think Country of Origin's a great point, and and it ties back into you know uh, the success and or lack of success of Cowboy Bebop. Uh, mm. I always ask myself like, what's going to be the next thing in Hollywood now that superhero movies have kind of had their time, and we're starting to wonder what the next cycle is. And to me, the answer seems to constantly be we're going to adapt anime. And I, I always find those anime adaptations are hit or miss just because, you know, they're just from a different place. Like, they're from a different cultural context. And sometimes, depending on the piece, you know, that can translate really well to a Hollywood movie. And sometimes it can't. Mm. And so I, I think that's a really great point, culture, uh, culture of origin. Also, um, time, you know, um, product of their time. You know, there's some, there's some yeah, stuff, absolutely. you know, and some, even, even if it's not, even if it's not, you know, um, necessarily graphically violent or graphically sexual sometimes just conversations in films you're like oh woof wow that really was in a movie okay well when was this made oh 1975 that makes sense now it's the kind of stuff and i'm with you james like i i think that i have missed out on probably some famous slash you know favorite anime of people that are into it uh because i even might like the animation but the moment that things get really sexual especially with women in anime i feel insulted and i feel yeah not necessarily offended but i'm just kind of like i don't feel like i feel like i'm part of the problem if i continue to watch this and it might be that i'm you know it's i might be missing out on something but i just can't get past this like okay does she really need to be in a mini skirt with her boobs hanging out not right now like you know (laughs) like why and then you're just like it's also a cartoon which makes it weird like i just i just i missed that whole boat growing up i was never into that stuff you know i was i was watching animation for like the quality of the animation so i wasn't necessarily watching a lot of anime um back mm-hmm. when i was you know going through school and stuff so uh i missed that i don't have they don't have any nostalgia pings for me so to get into them now as an adult i'm just like nope i, I have a hard time jumping that fence i actually i had that experience joel actually i 
I did not watch Neon Genesis Evangelion, you know, as a teenager, you know, which was still when I was a teenager, it was still 10 years after it came out. But I tried to go back and watch it this year, actually, during the pandemic, because I have some friends who love Evangelion. This is like their anime, right? And man, like I really bounced off it, you know, and, and much like you said, you know, oh, this is the conversation they're having. When did this made again? Oh, uh, 1995. Yeah, that that that's why that conversation or that scene is happening, right? So I, I had that exact experience this year that you're talking about, Joel. It's hard to go back to some of that stuff if you don't have that nostalgia for it growing up. For sure. For me, I find it with anime, it, it it always makes me angry when they do that fan service stuff, but whether I'll watch it all the way through or not depends on when they throw it in. If they have the show be good enough and I'm hooked and then they throw it in, I'm usually angry at myself, but I'll watch it because the story is that feels that compelling at the time but if they throw it in like they one of the common tropes is called the accidental pervert where a guy like falls into a woman and accidentally grabs her yes. breasts and if yes. they throw if they throw that in in like the first 15 minutes or whatever i'm out of there and like i said i i love my wife her love of anime is one of the things i, I love about her to her it just doesn't phase her at all like she just glosses right over it's like oh yeah this is a, a trope and as you said and this is just how it is and she just totally glosses over it doesn't affect her at all and or I'm the one with the problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to get into uh, the main discussion, which, of course, is going to be about the season finale of Hawkeye on Disney+. Plus. But before that, we have to say goodbye to Mr. Ryan Murphy, who has other duties. Uh, Christmas is coming and also hasn't seen the, the show, so we don't want to spoil it for Ryan. So, uh, Ryan, my friend, thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. Yeah, I always enjoy uh, coming on the Citadel Cafe, and I always uh, greatly enjoy coming on the holiday episode to chat with the whole crew. And uh, yeah, I'm not caught up on Hawkeye. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to do that before Christmas. That's what the goal is. Not that <laughs> there's anything happening after Christmas. that I got to watch The Witcher as well, so I'm way behind on TV stuff. But um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to catch up on Hawkeye, but I look forward to listening to the later half of the holiday episode once i've uh once i've caught up but uh yeah i am gonna have to jet but it was really great chatting with everybody again before you go uh where can people find your work because i know that you've got a lot of podcasts uh in the bag right now for the holidays and i'm sure people are looking forward to listening to some things like where where can people go to find your podcasting work so i uh have a video game podcast the gamers in i do a zombie podcast zombies ate my podcast and a parenting slash geek uh sort of similar to the Citadel cafe you know video games tv movies um called dungeons and diapers so we often have half the show be about uh you know geeky stuff and then the other half um being about uh being parents and family life but as you can probably imagine those blend together you know playing video games with the kids uh you know uh, watching tv shows with the kids and stuff like that so, uh, yeah, you can find all that at tgistudios.com. You can check out all the podcasts there. And uh, Extra Life, we did, we've been doing Extra Life. Our team, the Gamers In team, just crossed $7,000 raised U.S. I think that's our best year yet. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're raising nice. funds for Children's Miracle Network hospitals around the world. I'm playing specifically for sick kids in Toronto. And uh, donations close in just a week. So our campaign ends on December 31st. You can go to bit.ly slash Extra Life Ryan for more details and to donate. Uh, we appreciate all the support. And it's been a it's been an amazing year to see everyone come out. And um, someone uh, 
someone went through our team and and just kind of anonymously topped us all off and got us all to our team goals. So wow. it was super appreciated. It's it's crazy the generosity that that people have when it comes to the extra life event specifically. There's a huge community of people that just um are amazing supporters whether you're coming out and you're you're watching you're donating you're sharing the links you, you know um letting me come on the podcast and and talk about it <laughs> like that that all helps and it goes a long way to uh for this this cause to to be so popular i think we i think the whole extra life has raised over like 100 million you it's a crazy number uh each year they just they just keep topping it. So it's, uh, it's really great to see because it's an amazing cause. That's fantastic, dude. I'm so, so happy to hear it. Uh, well, all the best to you and the family over the holidays. I'm sure we'll be talking to you over the break and in the new year. And of course, you'll be back on the show, I'm sure, before too long. We'll talk to you later. Everyone have a great holiday. Happy New Year. And I'm sure we'll chat throughout the holidays. But yeah, have a good one. Enjoy Hawkeye. Uh, and have a good night. Thank Thanks. you. You too. You too, Ryan. As promised, we are about to talk about the season finale of Hawkeye and probably the season as a whole. It's not that long. It's only six episodes. So if you have not finished Hawkeye on Disney Plus, we will see you later. You will be back, but we will see you later because you absolutely need to go watch this show. Uh, uh, as of uh, now, I have watched all the episodes. I believe everybody else here on the panel has as well. Uh, we'll have links to the website, uh, Wikipedia for Hawkeye, for uh, Clint Barton, Kate Bishop, as well as IMDb, all that kind of good stuff in the show notes as per usual. Uh, I will just not be able to talk about any of this without spoiling stuff. So, uh, you have been warned, uh, you have been forewarned and, uh, we're going to get into it. And I think the easiest thing to do here is to maybe start with the pros. Uh, I'll go around the table just from left to right here. Uh, Alistair, uh, what were your kind of first impression pros of the, the finale? I guess we'll start, but then of course, anything you have to add over the, the season as well. Oh, I, I, I've loved it. I, I thought it's been great, and um, uh, I, I especially liked seeing—is uh, it Yelena? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Natasha's sister. Yes. Uh, just her fighting with Kate Bishop, and just the kind of the playfulness that they have between them, and how you know that you know Kate would be dead in a second if that's what she wanted. You know, and she's just kind of you know just playing with her really more than anything, and it's almost like a little bit of a fun distraction. Than, than much but that i think was probably the highlight for me through that something that i liked about yelena as well uh which i got a taste of in the um, black widow movie but then also in her appearance in hawkeye is that uh hawkeye and black widow have this constant kind of like banter exchange when they're fighting and it's usually got nothing to do with what is going on around them uh, hmm. it's about like you know what we had for dinner or like some other kind of cheeky stuff uh but then uh i find that Yelena is the same way. The difference is that she's talking about usually what's happening. Like she's not necessarily, especially if she's fighting, the quips are about the fight. It's usually about like, you know, how much the other person sucks or, you know, in some cases, how good the other person is, which I thought was very funny. Um, but every once in a while she gets into the mundane and even that can be kind of funny. There was a scene when she first appeared, I think, to with Kate Bishop and she was talking about like it was the only fork that she had in the apartment or something. And just kind yeah. of like judging her existence as like this comical <laughs> kind of like, it's, it's almost as if, um, and this is really kind of like a through point for Yelena from the Black Widow movie. It's almost like because she's been kind of like woken up and has been waking up other Black Widow agents, um, 
she's trying to find her personality. So you can almost see her kind of taking jabs at how she wants to be, whether she wants to be sarcastic all the time or serious all the time, or a little bit of both. Like you can kind of see her working that out. Uh, it's kind of like, it reminds me of like scenes from like the big bang theory where like Sheldon doesn't get sarcasm or something like there's just, there's, there's some parallels there with her kind of discovering what it's like to be in the real world and how she's going to fit. Yeah. And you kind of get a bit of that with Kate as well, like how she's going to fit in this new world as a superhero uh, of sorts. And I, I think that Kate Bishop is also just a very, very good stand in for anybody who's wanted to be the partner of their favorite superhero. When you kind of see just in the very early episodes, her kind of looking at Clint and just, you know, being mesmerized by how good he was and just wanting to to fight alongside him. And then to the point when I, I think it was a really emotional moment when he actually says that he's that you know, that he's her partner and he's there with her to the end. You know, something along the lines of um, you know, her problems are his problems. I, I got a lot of that out of the last episode. I feel like yeah. they've been kind of pushing Kate to the side or there's been a kind of a broken record to the point where I was getting a little bit sick of it where Clint was just constantly saying like, this is too dangerous, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm just, you know, you think you're, I'm, I don't want a partner. Please don't just, you, could you just stay, you know, just, I gotta go do stuff. Dangerous. I think it's understanding though, because he did lose his before. I, yes. And there's, and there's the mother as well coming in. So yeah. 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 No, I, I get it. I feel like it's just because it, it took a while to get there. And there was one episode, I think it was the, it was a short episode. I want to say it was episode four where it was just, it was the first appearance of Yelena and they fought on the roof. I think it might've been four or five, pretty sure it was four. It was only like 30 minutes long and it was over before it started. It felt like, and the whole time I just felt like he just, he was just saying like, look, go home <laughs> the whole time. And she just kept on not listening to him. And just as a viewer, you're just kind of like, when is he going to realize that she's not going to listen? And when am I going to have to stop hearing him tell a kid to stop doing something that they're just going to keep on doing? Um, mm. But it's a, it's a small criticism because I mean, the, the bulk of the show was, was very, very well done. Um, I, I like the, the beats that, that you mentioned there at, in the finale with him saying, okay, you're my partner. I'm here. We're in it together. I'm going to see this through. I'm going to make sure that you get through this because of the emotional stakes, you know, because she found out that, you know, her mother was in league with the Kingpin, uh, mm. at the end of season five or at episode five. And he knows how serious that is. She doesn't. Uh, and he needs to kind of, she knows how serious that she's put together, that her mother is a criminal and a murderer. Um, but he understands how dangerous the Kingpin is. And, and I feel like it's that combination of like wanting to protect her physically, but then also knowing that she's going to be going through some very tough things and tough decisions are going to have to be made emotionally if she's going to cross this line to be a hero. And I thought it was really well-timed and they went from being like punchy. I think at the time they were putting together this comical arsenal of like trick arrows <laughs> and she was like red label like label maker putting like bad like super bad very dangerous do not touch she's putting all these labels and things and it switches from that to like this emotional moment of like you're my partner we're in this to the end and i yeah. i really appreciated the the time that they took to put those those pathos moments in i, I think the final quote that i'll i'll mention just as a, a small aside as well is just another visualization of the snap 
when she actually mm. comes back and oh, you see right. the room transform around her and and kind of what that would look like from the perspective of somebody who was just coming back into existence. I thought that was really cleverly done. It, it did make me wonder, though, because she's in the bathroom when it happens. Like, how odd would it be for somebody to blip in the bathroom of your home and you're just one day, you know, having a shower, using the facilities, whatever, and somebody just blips back into existence. <laughs> yeah, it'd just be, it'd be kind of awkward. So when that happened and she sort of came back, it'd it just be like, oh, what if somebody was in the room at the time as well? How does the blip work? Like, what if they built something else where you were standing? Like, do you blip back into a wall? Like, do you find yourself mm. locked in a basement? Like, are you, is it like Minecraft where like you transport <laughs> into the blocks and you start to suffocate? Like what? I don't know how that, it, how that would work. I think it would be. I think that's probably what would happen. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Like oh. I, I can see people like being, you know, they were standing somewhere in a, in a vacant lot. And then of course a building is there and then they're in the basement, but the basement is locked. But I, I don't know whether the snap, you know, because I think if, if when Tony snapped and he's putting everything back exactly how it should be, but then five years into the future, I'm assuming he thought that everybody would be safely returned, you know? So people aren't blipping like, if they were on an overpass and the overpass is not there, they're not being blipped 45 meters into the air and then dropping to their death, you know? So I'm, I'm assuming maybe we're just thinking about it too much. Well, at least it wasn't an R rating and this isn't the boys. <laughs> so we don't yeah. have to worry about it too much. <laughs> and actually that brings up a really good um, plus for me to tie back to the email from LBV in that I really enjoyed some of the final fight scenes between... <laughs> Clint Barton, and I don't remember his name. He's a waste of space. It's a bad guy. Uh, Kazi. Uh, and like, there's some, there's some haymakers and some roundhouses that Clint hits him with. And it's just like, it is all out pain. <laughs> it mm -hmm. just, it's, it's not a fancy Kung Fu fight. It's a lot of just like thunk, thunk takedown. And man, it doesn't need to be bloody. Like it doesn't need to be, you know, just the sound effect and the, and the, the way that they, choreograph and cut those scenes together uh i really i really liked it i thought that it gave there's a there's a very james bond moment where you know clint is slowly taking off the tuxedo to then get down into a looser shirt so that he can you know use his bow and arrow on the top floor or the 12th floor wherever he is and um they, there's a lot of those kind of like disarming scenes and like using bombs and all that kind of stuff and again violent but like not not explicit violence you know yeah. Well, there's even the guy who is hit. For, I mean, obviously, a lot of people are hit by arrows with all sorts of different abilities, which are amazing. But there's one that seems to wrap around a guy and then shoots up like a rocket and drags the guy up into the sky with him. You don't see him fall back down. So it's kind of left to you in the imagination as to how high he was before <laughs> the rocket ran out of power. Yeah. A lot of them seem to be like kind of like disarm, um, disable you know, paralyze, like that kind mm. of stuff, electrocute. Uh, I, I like, I love the, uh, the Batman-esque uh, magnetic arrow, obviously like kind of like a Tony Stark bag of tricks kind of thing where like Clint magnifies the fence around the Rockefeller Center. I think that's where they are. Uh, mm. And it sucks the guns out of everybody's hands, which brings, you know, for people bringing a, a, a you know, machine gun to a bow and arrow fight, it evens the odds dramatically because now <laughs> everybody's using knives and bats. And of course, and Clint and, and Kate have got, you know, these crazy amount of arsenal arrows. My favorite ones were the ones that had like the little pygmy darts in them. So like it would hit the ground or it would hit another person and then it would be just oh, like, yeah. 
and like, it just spit like arrows <laughs> everywhere and people would drop like flies and i don't know where all these tracksuit guys were coming from like they were just coming out of these things like clown cars there was got to be a couple hundred people in this fight scene it was i mean very very well done i think one of my biggest pluses from the season where there were some slow moments where i was kind of like i was enjoying the banter but there was sometimes it was like okay can we get things going a little bit faster and they definitely gave you a payoff in that end end scene where like uh kate and clint at on the ice get the throw down together the reveal of clint in an actual superhero outfit which we never thought we were going to see um mm. they comment on it later too which is funny and they comment on it during like uh kate is like oh my gosh you're wearing it he's like look we got bigger things to worry about right now <laughs> okay we just just yeah i'm wearing it just let's let's just survive we can talk about it later um but and and they kept a really good balance of the banter between the two of them they're really cool moments and there's some like no look explosion arrow shots there's like all this crazy stuff they're communicating with like looks and um trust me i'll do this all that kind of stuff and i have to say like there ha there had to have been a moment for not kate but for Haley steinfeld to be in a marvel tv show with hawkeye throwing down you know as partners in a in a superhero battle in the climax of this series like that had to be some giddy moments from a career perspective like i mm -hmm. i go i hope she enjoyed it as much as she looked like she was enjoying it as kate because man talk about a career checkbox like that is some that's some fun times steven i know that uh you and i have talked about the first half of of uh the season uh, how did you feel the the last few went I thought they went really well. I mean, you've you've already touched it on on it already, but y Elena's presence in this series, I I loved, loved, loved. I actually went back the the conversation in the kitchen where Elena's making the mac and cheese, and she's saying, you know, first time in New York, once a girls' night out, and stuff like that. Florence, you is phenomenal in that scene. I we laughed, we we rewound parts of it and watched it again, but she was just so natural like she really felt like she was there and wanted to have fun like tell me what the sights are and stuff like that and and she laughed like just it was it was such a uh a refreshingly natural delivery that i i went back and i watched the entire scene again i thought it was so good um so yeah i mean i knew i've seen her in other things and liked her before but became like an an ultra fan in that moment so very grateful that she was brought into this um yeah the i I mean, a lot of it's been said. The fight scenes were excellent, and that the fight scene where he's fighting Kazi and then finished it with the suplex. I mean, it's like you never, never see that in actual fight scenes. And I'm glad that, like he did it, and then he got knocked out because, you know, whenever you see that happen in like professional wrestling or stuff like that, not that I'm a huge fan of it, but I remember it from a kid. But there's there's no getting up from stuff like that, and and the fact that they would do it on a cement floor, it was a finisher for sure. James, any any criticisms of the suplex? I did not see the suplex in question, but as a big pro wrestling fan, we can definitely talk about the art of suplexes sometime. That's for sure. <laughs> I know that you haven't seen the the show, but I'm I'm asking like in terms of the suplex as a as a devastating knockout move or as a mid match kind of like knock the opponent around move. Like where do you stand? Do you think it should be a little bit more of a hey and end, end game situation? It depends on the wrestler. A lot of times, some wrestlers they use a suplex as their finishing move, and so if that's the wrestler's finishing move then in, in the story of the match that's the finishing move you sell mm. it like it's a finishing maneuver uh, if it's not your finishing move and you're just kind of doing it and he has uh, a transition from one spot in the story to the next then yeah you know 
you sell it, it's definitely you know a, a devastating move, but it's not the finishing move. So it definitely depends on who is delivering the suplex. Uh, I will say quickly too, uh, sometimes, not often, but sometimes you see a suplex in like mixed martial arts, uh, like UFC or what have you, uh, and it can be a finishing move there. You know, guys do, guys and girls, uh, do definitely get knocked out if you happen to take a suplex, although obviously in mixed martial arts it is much harder to mm-hmm. uh, set that up. But uh, yeah, in terms of the wrestling question, it, it depends on who's delivering the move. But for me, it was always one of those moves that, um, you know, in, in professional wrestling, especially they've got the sort of the shock absorbed ring. And then for for fight rings as well, they're not you're not fighting on cement. No. So when, right. when they did this in an office building and basically suplex the guy or a Hawkeye suplex the guy into a cement floor and he did not get back up, I was grateful because it just again. So many times when people get flung across a room into a wall or into a pillar and they just keep up, get up and keep going. It happens. It's like practically a cliche that it's they're flung into a pillar of some kind and they get back up. So, um, no, just fight scenes throughout were pretty, pretty tight. I definitely would agree. In that case, if it's on like a, a cement floor or like a really hard surface. Yeah, that's that's a finishing. I think, mm-hmm. I think too, that um, they have a really good balance with the. Uh, not comical fight scenes but the 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 lighter kind of like the ones that are meant to be almost like a dance to be an mm-hmm. interaction with characters and then ones that are like clint where like he's he, the other guy's trying to kill him and he's trying to just knock him out of disarm like kind of remove him from the equation uh, mm-hmm. a really good example is the uh fight which i'm sure you enjoyed steven because of how long the shot was uh, and that is when uh, Kate and Yelena are going through like several different offices and door jams and stuff. And they're constantly yep. like flipping and punching and kicking. And there's these, all these stuff. And then in the last room before Yelena jumps out the window, they have this conversation with like, just, wow, that was a really good kick. Like that form was like, yeah. that was amazing. Like that actually hurt. And that time you did that throw, that was so good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Loved it. I mean, their, their chemistry, like I hope, I hope at some point we get, a Hawkeye and Black Widow duo that is the two of them because their their comedic chemistry, like just their banter, is off the chart. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, I was praising Yelena, but it was it was Yelena and Kate Bishop in that conversation that was just it was so good. I agree. I I, I would love to see, and that would be kind of like a cool full circle kind of thing. You know, you got Clint Barton, Hawkeye, and and Scarlett Johansson, or sorry, um, and uh, Natasha Romanoff. You know, Black Widow. What's Yelena? Belova's actual like does she have a superhero name is she like the white widow or something like that no she you... she is a black widow that was what the uh no i knew that kind of but in the comics do you know if she has like oh, her own her own i do sort not of identity? I, did, I didn't actually know she was part of it until the black widow movie oh maybe she isn't i'm just i'm assuming that they all have some sort of yeah she's just there as black widow um in the same way that kate is hawkeye which they kind of mention at the very end like the last bit of the episode. oh no i knew i knew that about the show yeah. i mean i mean like in the comics stuff where yes. they've not actually yeah. told us like whether or not um yelena has like a a, a pseudonym you know just like uh, yeah. the made the made-up names as peter parker yeah, yeah. Likes, no, likes she, she, she's just another black widow okay in in the same way yeah like how we got another captain america now it's uh they just did that and and, and this is not speaking from experts reading these specific comics uh, this is just me doing a, a little bit of looking up on uh, Wikipedia and stuff. Well, speaking about uh, screen presence, uh, kind of hard not to notice the fact that Kingpin is in 
episode six and in it a lot more than I thought he was going to be. I saw the <laughs> the little, you know, video drop in the end of season five and I thought, okay, they're kind of making a nice nod there. But I, I didn't realize, because again, I didn't look ahead on IMDb and I didn't check out the trailers. I just watched the final episode today at lunchtime and man, uh, forgot how much I missed D'Onofrio as Kingpin. And he is, I want to say more menacing than mm -hmm. he was in Daredevil, even though Daredevil was a more violent show. I feel like you enter into this, if you've watched Daredevil on Netflix, then you know what Kingpin's capable of. Um, but they managed to do a number of things, I think, to make him feel both more colorful in terms of his wardrobe, because he was very clean cut on, on uh, Daredevil. He had a lot of like purple shirts that were tucked in and stuff like that. Whereas here he's more like a, like a Caribbean flower shirt and like little top hat, not top hat, but like little fedora sort of situation. Um, and I feel like they do some camera tricks because I understand that he's six, three D'Onofrio is a big guy, but like they make him look and feel larger than life mm. in, in a lot of scenes. And it, it, it works terrifically. Um, combined with the sound effects, whenever he hits someone or is hit by someone, he almost feels like he absorbs it. Like if he gets punched or pushed or something happens, even when he gets knocked over, it still feels like whatever hit him took half of that. Like he gets hit by a car when, when Eleanor drives into him and he gets up after, but like the, the initial kind of like crash, he gets pushed by the car. It doesn't feel like he necessarily gets taken out by the car. And I feel like they did an excellent job kind of bringing that kind of menace. And then to top uh, the, the battle scene with Clint and Kate, Kate then takes on the Kingpin. I think probably in a way she doesn't even know who he is. And if she did, she might not have even gone toe to toe mm. with him, but she goes toe to toe with him and she gets the tar beaten out of her. I don't mm. necessarily know why she's alive. I feel like he was sort of either toying with her or, I'm not sure what he was doing. I felt like he was holding back to a certain extent. Um, I think so. But as yeah. the fight went on, he seemed to be hitting harder and harder. Like he felt, I felt to me like he was maybe escalating it. But then of course she outsmarts him with all the arrows and the, she ends up, um, what did she do? She steals his cufflink, which I thought was a really cool, like I, ke I kept on wondering why she was wrestling with him and kept on getting into these like you know judo kind of flip around moves with him until they made the reveal that she had actually kind of like stolen his cufflink while she was grappling with him and then she used that with that flick that she got taught how to do by clint and she set off one of the the special trick arrows and that's and that's what ends up you know knocking him out enough that she can escape um the whole time she was talking with her mom, I thought he was going to get up. <laughs> like, I'm just like, you've just established that I it's know. very difficult to knock this guy down. Why are you still standing here talking? <laughs> like, just, I felt yeah, like that I'm... was a, a weird kind of pause, but I, I love the fact that she beat him. Like, it's so cool. With, with you saying about him holding back, I do wonder if that was something to do with the mother. Maybe he's just kind of mm. like, well, if I don't kill her, I've got something to, to hold over the mother perhaps. But the other thing with you saying about how much he can take, we hear a gunshot, but we never see it getting fired. So we also don't know if he actually did get shot. Oh, I don't think he did. I And that's, and that's got nothing to do with like his powers per se. Because as far mm. as I know, the Kingpin doesn't necessarily have any powers. I know he's like super strong and, and super kind of like, we'll say dense. Like he doesn't seem to get hurt very much. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah. the way that I've seen it described quickly researching before the podcast tonight is basically just think of him like a sumo wrestler without any fat on him. Like he's just genetically super strong as a human, not in the fact that he's like a superhuman, but he's just a very strong individual that has a lot of training. We think I saw it in the first season of Daredevil where he comes back from Japan or something like he's obviously had a lot of, a lot of training, like he can hold his own. Um, and we know he's a violent guy. And between mm -hmm. his rage and his physical ability, I think he's just that kind of dangerous. He also had the in um he had special suits made in the Daredevil series as well because Daredevil went to this special tailor of sorts right. and had this bulletproof knife proof costume or outfit made oh. for him. And Kingpin went to the same guy and had a series of suits made of the same stuff. So even if he did get shot, there's a good chance he was wearing one of those suits that right. wouldn't let the bullet go through and i don't i don't know but i mean if he's if all of his wardrobe was made of that stuff then he's she may have shot him thought he was dead walked away and then he'll just get up because you know he's a three-piece yeah. bulletproof suit i just think that it's, it's just that disney would not go all through all the trouble of bringing him in cross the streams from the daredevil mcu oh, agreed. Agreed. Uh, only to shoot him and kill him at the end of the hawkeye season like that's just not happening so uh, unless you want to make all of your fans very mad at the same time. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's the only reason I don't think that that would happen. Cause otherwise they, if they, if that was the case, they would have shown it right. Like if that was the end, yeah. D'Onofrio would have wanted a death scene. I would imagine, you know, oh, um, yeah. he's so good. I've, he's so good at that character. Yeah. I've not seen daredevil, so I've not seen him oh, really? playing the Kingpin. Oh. Yeah. Oh, but you need to dude. Yeah. It's good. Well, the thing is, I I remember watching Spider-Man, the animated series, and remembering Kingpin from that, and he felt like that Kingpin that I knew. Like, he looks just the part. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's such a great resemblance, uh, what they've done there. The only beef I'd have about Kingpin in the Daredevil series is I found that he was, he kind of does that that voice where he's, he's, he felt like he was, to me anyway, felt like he was forcing the scruffy voice a little bit mm. in Daredevil sometimes, where it felt like maybe he's grown into having that raspy voice at, at, at 62 years old. Like he is, like it, it felt more, he felt more like a, a believable, like, or he was true as Kingpin, whereas in Daredevil, there's, there's a few times where I felt like he was forcing the raspiness. I agree. And I think that by the end of maybe, is it season two in Daredevil? How many seasons of Daredevil are there? Two or three? Three. Three. I feel like, by the time it all wraps up, uh, or maybe I'm remembering Kingpin from other series like like Defenders and stuff, if he was in that. But I feel like it's it's he's grown as an actor th throughout the character, and instead mm -hmm. of that graspy, growly voice, he just he just lowers his voice to like he can be menacing by speaking super softly and 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 matter of factly as opposed to like gruffly and growly. Um, okay. I have the same issue with. Um, some of the dialogue from and delivery from um, the Witcher season two to the point where I'm I'm positive they didn't film that in sequential order and some of the climactic scenes that they might have filmed early on uh, have some very season one growly um, Geralt whereas then mm -hmm. mid season and dealing with a lot of stuff with Siri you're like okay he's still got something gruff going on but he's not doing like um 
Christian Bale's Batman anymore. Uh, <laughs> and, and part of it is just the fact that I see Henry Cavill on all kinds of social media and interviews and stuff like that. And so I know what he sounds like as a human. And so I know he doesn't sound anything like Geralt. Um, so I know he's putting on a bit of a voice, but at the same time, I didn't mind when he does like the American thing for Superman. So like, it just, I don't know. Um, but yeah, the, the gruff stuff with Kingpin, it, I didn't notice it in Hawkeye, but I, I think I, I remember it from Daredevil. James, have you seen the Daredevil series? I actually haven't, but I, I know that Vincent D'Onofrio has played the Kingpin. I think not just in the series. If I remember right, didn't he play the Kingpin in the original Daredevil movie as well? No, that was Michael. Or is that somebody else? Okay. Yeah, that was uh, Michael uh, Clark Duncan, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's right. I apologize. Yeah. 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 I, uh, he's huge and menacing in that. So that was a, a good choice, too. The thing that I remember to not feel from, from my childhood is uh, Men in Black. He played the, the bug guy. The guy that's like more sugar water <laughs> like that. Did he's he? The place, he's the farmer that got taken over by the big bug alien. Yeah, that's him. <laughs> First thing I saw him in was the cell, the, the Jennifer uh, Lopez movie. And he was creepy as all get out in that. That's right. Yeah. But I just saw him recently in the Unforgivable um, Netflix movie with Sandra Bullock. And he's like super friendly guy in that. I'm like, man, I've never seen him as anything but a bad guy. And he just he nails the super friendly guy really well, too. I I've seen him interviewed and he, he, it's, it's kind of weird when you see like the, cause he's you know, fairly friendly and outgoing and stuff like that. And, and very humble. Uh, and so you see that you're like, this is not at all like the Kingpin. It must be really fun to play the Kingpin. <laughs> like if you're a nice guy in real life, I can imagine playing like a super villain, but playing it in a, in a, in a good way where you're not trying to be like, you know, a super villain with powers necessarily. You're more like, like in the same way that I would imagine that is it, it's Josh Brolin that played thanos right like i know he doesn't mm-hmm. physically get to be on on film but um again thanos is as much about the intellect as he is about the physical presence and the dialogue for that like that evil kind of delivery that absolution that purity of of mission is it's got to be fun as an actor to be just kind of mm. like evil to the core uh and calmly evil i think that's kind of what kind of freaks people out yeah his voice was so well suited to to Thanos, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like it was just such a perfect pick. So to get some of the small cons out of the way, um, I really felt that Jack was a comic relief wasted space. He never redeemed himself for me. Uh, he really was just intoler- intolerable and a misdirect for like the and one more thing on Eleanor's like red card as far as her crimes was trying to frame him for the murder mm-hmm. of his own uncle. Um, he's clueless, uh, and I understand that you know we were pegging him as the villain or we thought that he was very clearly the bad guy uh when we were first talking about it steven and i'm happy to be proven wrong and it was a deeper plot than i thought and it ended up being her mom which is complicated for kate and and has some real emotional pathos for the for the series but like if you take jack out of it all that's really missing is a scapegoat he really doesn't do anything other than add some comedic swordplay to the whole thing which i didn't need um it's 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 yeah. an, it just feels like another kind of imbalanced kind of like he's just a in, he's just a bystander that used to fence in college you know <laughs> he's apparently uh hitting bad guys and like and like superheroes get into fights and they don't get arrested by the police but like how come jack doesn't get arrested by the police for bringing a sword in public and you know attacking people even though they were attacking him like i don't know it that to me was kind of an, an oversight it would have been more meaningful if it was somebody who meant a great deal to kate bishop yeah. Like if it was her, not that you want her actual father. Like 
I realized that he died and it was, you know, part that of was her, the, yeah. the cause of a lot of her growth early on. But if it was somebody that was truly dear to her, that she would have been devastated by them being like the head of this corrupt company, then I don't know. Yeah. Which is what, I mean, that's the whole thing behind her mom. Like that's, that's the card yeah. that they played. But again, like it just, it didn't, to me, it didn't serve enough purpose. Um, I also was disappointed with Kazi and Maya. Um, Maya just never knocked it out of the park for me. It's a cool concept for a character. I'm glad they're doing it. You know, Steven and I, we talked about the importance of, you know, representation and stuff in Marvel and all that kind of stuff last time, which I think is great, but just critically as a character in, in this series, she, I just didn't, she missed the mark for me. It wasn't really my, the best thing. And Cassie and Maya just talk in circles every time they're on camera mm. together in the last three episodes, they say the same thing to one another and neither one of them are listening. And it just, it drives me nuts. It's just, it's a waste of five minutes before I can get back to enjoying Kate and Clint. You know, like I just, I, I didn't really enjoy it. Um, Alistair, what, what did you think of, of Maya? Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> kind of agree on, on the same lines. I think this goes back to the, the point you were just making with regards to Jack is that, you know, it kind of ended up being shoved aside for something that fortunately was a lot better, you know, with the Kingpin and stuff, uh, because by the end, I just wasn't really caring about Maya as a, a villain in this whole mix. I mean, the idea is that they're trying to spin her into not being a villain so that she can have her own show yeah, and, sure, and yeah. be the hero. Oh, is she, oh that yeah. I didn't know. That's a, yeah that's a and that's the thing stuff. it's like it's the kind of thing where i feel like they kind of forced it and if they were going to do that i feel like they should have brought her in very early like she should have been in all six episodes um i think we only got her in the end of episode two maybe so um i don't know i i feel like they could have done more there i could be misremembering but if they're using it as a platform to launch it into a, her own show then at least we should hopefully get the depth and, and things that we would want from that then. Yeah, I mean we'll have the time. So and again, I'm not yeah. I'm not saying I'm not poo-pooing Maya as a character in the MCU. I'm just saying that her appearance and her arc yeah. in Hawkeye just really didn't do it for me. Um yeah. I would rather they did something that similar to what they did with Yelena, where they brought her in halfway or more than halfway through, and it was significant to this mm. moving the story mm. forward. And if they had done that, and at the end, right now, I mean, Yelena, I, I'm really curious to know where she's going. Because, I mean, she just yeah you know, walked away at the end. And like I said, I'm hoping that they bring her back. So if they had done something where Maya wasn't, like you said, just this. I thought the fight scenes she was in were really cool. And there's some stuff about the back, the backstory, which could be interesting. But it never really landed fully, I don't think. And again, this is this has nothing to do with the actor. has nothing to do with. Like the character, it just, yeah, it just it didn't quite stick in it. It felt like it was very much just a launching platform. Mm. We don't want to spend the first four episodes of the Maya series explaining who Maya is. Yeah, but at the same time, like, like you and I talked about how um, how they introed Kate Bishop at the beginning, and then they they basically used the opening credits. Right. To give you her history from childhood to where she was now. Like, and that was so tight. That was so well done. Mm -hmm. They could have possibly done something like that with, with, um, with Maya as well. I think one thing it does do well, though, is really kind of set up just how many pies the Kingpin has his, his finger in right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. True. You know, it's, uh, you know, you've got all these people and, and really they're all just under this one umbrella of him. 
Well, I mean, any Marvel superhero that is based in New York, which is a lot of them, the Kingpin is usually a villain in those series. So like he's, mm. he's a big, he's a big problem. He's like a Lex Luthor sort of deal in terms of, hmm. uh, a, he's a Spider-Man villain. He's a daredevil villain. Yeah. Uh, he's a, a Hawkeye villain apparently. Uh, like there's, there's a lot, a lot going on there. Um, the one last thing that I'll mention, uh, is that I decided to watch through the entire credits, um, thinking <laughs> there's probably going to be something, uh, yeah. ended up sitting and cringing through the entirety of the Avengers musical presentation that they gave us a glimpse of probably too much of in episode one. Uh, and it's all there, all of it. And it's the same thing because by the time you get to the end of it, you realize you're watching the end that Clint was watching in the, the first mm. episode. Uh, and you sit through all of it and they give you nothing. No. Uh, that I was know. the thing that they give you. And I was oh. mad. <laughs> I was just like, come on. Yeah. I, I had the gears turning just kind of like, Oh, this is that one from the first one. And we're going through. And I was just thinking like, you almost kind of have your, your, your ex half expectation, half wish for what you hope it's going to be. And for me, I was like, please just be an elderly Steve Rogers cringing at the back. Oh, I was really hoping they would do that too. Mm. I even I even said exactly the same thing. It'd be it'd be cool if he was in it just for the sheer like just like the, the cringe factor as well. Yeah. Like doesn't doesn't have to say a word. Just be there in silence just with yeah. the aged makeup and stuff. Oh it would have been that that it would have made it. Especially if he has the exact same line that Barton had, where it's just like Ant Man wasn't even there. That would have been, been good. That would have been pretty epic. I thought it was a great series. I would like to see more stuff like this from Marvel. It had a really good balance of uh comedy, banter, action, uh grumpy old man. Like it had a, like a lethal weapon vibe. It had uh, you know, obviously an Avengers vibe. And what I liked about it is that the stakes got high enough that it would have warranted like a feature film, right? Like it, it had the same sort of scale as far as importance to the characters involved. And so, I mean, I highly recommend it. I think it's great. It's, it's a fun that they made it a Christmas themed, you know, show and it came out mm. this time of year. I thought that worked well because you're watching something that's Christmas themed, but not like Hallmark barf Christmas. Like it's a lot, it's a lot more subtle in terms of just like the set dressing and, and the time of year and, and Clint's mission to get home in time for Christmas, which he does. Uh, and the fact that he brought Kate and the now renamed pizza dog named Lucky, uh, to, to the farm, uh, I thought was great. And Finally, we got to realize what the Rolex was that was um, stolen and put on the black auction from the Avengers compound. And uh, early on, and I had to look this up because um, I, I knew that it was going to have some sort of significance and I've been tracking it throughout the show, but I didn't realize what it was going to ha have until the end. And at some point early in the series, Clint says that it's important that he gets it back because it has information that would reveal the identity of someone that's no longer a spy and you just kind of think like well from his background he knows all kinds of people it could be anybody right but then he brings it back to the farm and he gives it to laura and mm -hmm. his wife and and she flips it over and it's got a shield emblem on the back of it and the number 19 and so she the, it's revealed that she is okay with all this stuff <laughs> that Clint's like the superhero spy because she used to be one. 
uh, not a superhero, but she used to be a spy. Mm. She was part of Shield. Uh, and Shield, yeah. yeah, and the hint uh, to Agent Nineteen. I'm gonna have to look this up because I I um I did have I I had to like go kind of go Google this, and so apparently in the comics, Clint Barton is married to uh, a character named oh Mockingbird. Shit. Mockingbird. Thank you. And so yeah, I looked it up earlier as well. Yeah. So <laughs> an Agent Nineteen was Mockingbird in the comics, but in the Agents of Shield show, um, she's not called Mockingbird, but she has the same human name. She has the same character name. Uh, Agent Nineteen was Barbara Morse, an Avenger called Mockingbird, and in Agents of Shield, Bobby Morse, the character played by Adriana Pelicki. Uh, was the character in the she in the show, but they I don't believe they ever called her Mockingbird. Now, Stephen, I know that you're a big Agents of Shield fan. Do you remember that? I don't remember that at all. I was trying to remember if Mockingbird ever came up, and I don't think it did. Yeah, so there's just these subtle kind of hints back and forth that uh, Laura, in the kind of MCU as we know it, is like Laura Barton used to be certainly an agent. Uh, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but possibly Mockingbird. They don't really kind of mm. get into it, uh, which I think is great. Like, I think it's it's just a subtle a subtle little thing. And I, I like that they, those kind of details about Clint and about um, his kind of slow reveal in the MCU, they always kind of present it in a kind of like a matter-of-fact way. Like, he just kind of comes over to the dinner table and gives her a watch and says, look, could you at least take better care of your stuff? You know, like it's just there's yeah. nothing more to it than that. And it's the same in Age of Ultron when he brings everybody to the safe house. And they're all just kind of like, and even um uh Tony Stark is seemed like she's obviously an agent, right? And he was right. <laughs> yeah. Uh and, and like these are just That's smaller funny. agents. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, like these are just smaller agents running around. Like they all are completely bewildered because they had no idea, with the exception of Natasha, that Clint was married. Um, I actually thought for a heartbeat that uh clint was going to end up bringing uh yelena back to same to the farm um as like a hey this is nat's sister and so everybody would have been really welcoming but i guess the fact that she was trying to kill him <laughs> might have thrown him off that i don't know i'm glad it was kate i'm glad it was kate and lucky but mm -hmm. i thought for a heartbeat there might have been a moment when him and yelena kind of reached an accord but that might take mm -hmm. longer than than we expect um, and, uh, someone else earlier had mentioned that they wanted to know where Yelena was going. I believe that she's at least hinted at being in the next season of Captain America. Moving on into the internet minute, which is of course brought to you by you. If you'd like to support the Citadel Cafe, you can go to patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Surprise. Joining at any level, will get you an invite to the member only discord server. And of course, one of those benefits is uh, getting access to bonus episodes. We're currently at 22 patrons as of today. If you'd like to be patron number 23, visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Uh, I do not have a pick this week. I was too busy getting ready for Christmas and the show, but Alistair and James both have come armed and ready to go. Alistair, what is your pick this week? Uh, mine's Adam Savage's tested series on YouTube and specifically his videos all about Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, I got to see the movie recently. It's absolutely fantastic. And I had no idea that uh, not only is he friends with director Jason Reitman, but he was asked to build a prop for the movie. 
So not only does he go through building his own cosplay proton pack, you actually get to see him doing on one of his one day builds uh, this prop for the film. And then he goes to the set and there's a bunch of videos just of him going through some of the special effects work that they did, um, a lot of the props that they had and how a lot of it was still practical effects, even stuff which I, I didn't even realize were practical effects, uh, you know, and looked really cool. But he is just such a joy to watch with every video he does. And if you're into Ghostbusters, then uh, all the Ghostbusters videos that he's been putting up recently are definitely worth a watch. James, what is your pick this week? Well, our talk about suplexes earlier made me want to consider changing my pick and passing along a, a, a good suplex video or two. Uh, but I'll stick with my original pick. Uh, there's a little quick story about it, though. Uh, usually when I'm on the Citadel Cafe, I'm on with Alistair and we talk about Alistair's arcade and Alistair and I, and I usually wind up talking about uh, 2D fighting games. Uh, this episode, we got as far as talking about the arcade, but we didn't get to talking about 2D fighting games. So I'm here to keep the streak alive with my Internet Minute pick. Uh, 2021 was actually the 30th anniversary of the release of Street Fighter 2 in the arcades. No way. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Polygon did this really great series of articles looking at the development history of some of the famous 2D Capcom fighting games. Uh, not just Street Fighter 2, but Street Fighter 1, Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter 3, etc. Uh, and they're all really well-written articles. They have members of the development and marketing teams, both from Japan and stateside. Uh, so I'm going to pass along the link to the hub page that Polygon has that links to half a dozen different articles about various different Capcom 2D fighting games uh, that all came out this year. Uh, I thought they were great reads, and if you're looking for something to read and you happen to, to like vintage 2D fighting games or you're a fan of Street Fighter, I, I thought they were really great reads. I can't believe it's been 30 years since that came out. That's bananas. Yeah, I, I had to look it up because while well, we were talking, because I, I remembered it was some anniversary, and I was trying to figure out which anniversary it was. Like, it's not the 25th anniversary. Street Fighter 2 came out way before that. And then I thought, well, it can't be 30 years, surely. That's, that's a long time. But no, it is 30 years since Street Fighter 2 first came out in the arcades. Stuff like this, I always feel better just thinking it's the 10th anniversary. If it's the 10th anniversary of anything, then it's like, that's fine. You know, I feel fine. But the moment we get to 30, it's like, no, that doesn't make sense. I'm, still, yeah. young. I'm still young. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> this year is the 20th anniversary of the release of The Fellowship of the Ring. No. <laughs> that was great. Did, did, you, did you see the box set they're doing for like the 20th anniversary of Lord of the Rings? They got like some... 20 or 30 disc box set that they're putting out with all not just the lord of the rings at the hobbit movies as well but to, to celebrate the 20th anniversary they have this huge box set they're coming out with i don't know if i'm into like collecting that kind of physical media anymore i just you know i i stream everything yeah. i say that and like i had some issues with the quality of of streaming disney plus with um with Hawkeye, there were some scenes that I thought were pretty grainy looking and it's not like it didn't buffer. It's not my internet, but it just, it's doing some sort of compression thing where it's just like, this is not HDR. <laughs> like this is not mm. 4k. It's not, it doesn't look this, this like this all the time. And I've had the same with wheel of time. Um, that has had some widely spread issues. It's not just me. Um, uh, Amazon servers and stuff have not been taking the load very well, apparently, but, uh, in watching real time recently, not when it first released, but uh, I've noticed it's been a slightly better. So maybe they've improved it. But I find that it can be some strange things where like you're watching low lit shots of people's faces and they look fine. But then the background looks really funny and fuzzy and pixelated and stuff. 
Uh, yes, the, the blacks get kind of crushed. Yeah, but not so much the blacks. I'm talking about everything, even light windows and stuff like that. But then you you switch to like a, an outside scene, um, and it's beautiful, like and crisp and and really well done. And as long as my TV panel can keep up, which it sometimes can't, um, it can look absolutely amazing. Uh, and you're like, okay, yeah, that's 4K. But I've I've not I've not had a smooth uh, a smooth um, experience in that light. So I maybe I need to look into getting some some 4k media I, I don't even know i guess i'm imagining that the xbox would do it um because my blu-ray player is not a 4k player it, it would only do 1080p um and i don't know because my my physical discs for the lord of the rings are the original extended box set so they would only be 1080p did you get the ones with the models as well like the wetter no no have? it's just a straight up they look like little books yeah. they look like books on the on the yeah shelf. yeah that yeah um, did, does the the new tenth anniversary set have other stuff, or is it just the discs? <laughs> I I'm not sure. I think it might have some additional stuff, but uh, I'm yeah. not 100 percent sure. I'm certainly interested just to see how they've presented it. I think that'll be quite interesting. I was just going to say quickly. Uh, I have historically been someone who likes to collect uh, his favorite things on physical media, but now I'm quickly running out of devices to play that physical media on. Yeah. Like the PlayStation 4 is the last device in the living room that is currently hooked up that plays discs. And I'm kind of thinking about one day, hopefully finding a PlayStation 5. But I want to go discless, so then I'm going to have no device in my living room to play my physical media. So I have to figure out what I'm going to do there. I have to buy a cheap Blu-ray player or something. I need to work out how to stream 4K and have some decent quality because I'd like to watch the Star Wars films now that I have a big TV, but I don't want to go find them on on any kind of physical media because i just i'd have to go find a set right now i have some of them but not obviously the new ones so yeah i i I need to find a solution for that myself that brings us to the end of the holiday roundtable and the end of 2021 for the sizzle cafe we will see you all in the new year you can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that we talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod, and you can email us at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com. And thanks again to LBV for the great email. Find the show by name on Twitter, and of course, subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify, even YouTube. Wherever you can find a podcast, you can find The Citadel Cafe. And hey, while you're out there, especially over the holidays where you may be getting some new devices and you're hooking them up to the listening platform of choice, not only can you go to the iTunes store and leave The Citadel Cafe a rating and a review, you can now rate podcasts on Spotify and it's free and it does a great deal to help us reach the ear holes of new listeners that are looking for nerdy content to listen to probably on their holiday break. So if you're listening to this, Go leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. It helps the show grow a great deal. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio at joelduggan.com. You can check out my other podcast, all about Minecraft at the spawnchunks.com. We will have another episode of that show going out over the holidays. That was pre-recorded last week. It has a lot of email conversation in it, and that's going to be going out on the 27th. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I hope to stream a little bit over the holiday break. That won't be happening until next week, though. Stephen, before we sign out, where can people find you on the internet? Stephen ESD on Twitter and Instagram, um, but mostly hanging out on Twitch when I can. as twitch.tv slash Stephen ESD. Alistair, where on the interwebs do you hang your hat? Over at alistairmcfly.com. Uh, also at alistairmcfly on Twitter. And I have a Star Trek podcast 
called Long Range Sensors, which you can find by adding .com to the end of that as well. James, I know that you are not on the internet. You do not exist. Much like uh, the snap in uh, Infinity War, now that we have reached the end of the holiday roundtable, I will turn to dust and fade off into the wind once again until next year. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two.